This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here. Glad you're here as the Mariner's... Had quite a weekend in Minnesota. We're going to talk about that. The two games they took from the Twins, taking the series. We'll talk about what comes up against Baltimore starting tonight in a four-game series before the Mariners return home. And we're going to have a conversation coming up with Drew Steckenrider. We'll get to know one of the newest Mariners. Really fun conversation. He's got some really good stories, including one that's pretty amazing. Cal Raleigh, of course, who's in the Mariners' system. Drew Steckenrider played for Cal Raleigh's dad at Tennessee, so pretty small world. He's got a fun story to share about that. So a lot coming up on this podcast. Let's dive into what happened in Minnesota. A strange series, of course, because it was the opening series for Minnesota, so there was an off day in the middle. The Twins take game one of the series. Mariners looking to even the series in Game 2, sending Yusei Kikuchi to the mound, his second start. Of course, he was brilliant against the Giants his first time out, fanning 10. And he was really good again this time around against a really good Minnesota Twins team. Their offense has been dynamite this year, but Kikuchi more than held his own. Kikuchi ready. The 2-2. Breaking ball, strike three, called, got him looking. Right there on the corner, froze him. Nothing Garver could do. The sixth strikeout for Yusei. He's retired seven in a row. Beautiful pitch. Yeah, it was a nice outing for Yusei Kikuchi. Six innings, two runs, six strikeouts, two walks. And this was a close game going back and forth. Michael Pineda was good for the Twins as well. Mariners got a couple of home runs in the third inning to provide the punch. Mitch Hanniger just a blast in the ballgame. And Taylor Trammell, his first major league home run. Twist, delivers. Swung on and slugged to right field. This is hit pretty well. It is back. It is way back. Warning track wall. Gone. Into the seats. See you later. Taylor Trammell. His first major league long ball going yard and gives the Mariners a one nothing lead. Over the tall wall in right field, Hanniger would have a smash as well. Of course, Nelson Cruz, we've seen it a million times. He had a two-run home run to give the Twins the tie, and it would stay tied until the eighth. Mariners would push another one across. So would the Twins. So this one tied going into extra innings, and Mitch Hanniger would come through with a sack fly in the 10th inning to push the go-ahead run across and the Mariners get the win over the Twins to even the series 4-3 to three in 10 innings. So a thriller for the Mariners. So yesterday, Mariners and Twins game three, the M's looking for a series win. Should be a nice accomplishment. Twins, though, they bust out the sticks early. One in the first, three in the third, two in the fifth. A 6 nothing lead in the ballgame. 
But then slowly, the Mariners start to come back in the sixth inning. Kyle Seeger swatting a home run. And Taylor Trammell doing it again. This time, just crushed one. Here's the pitch. Swing, and this is a rocket. Absolutely torched. Tattooed to right field. Out by the welcome to target field sign. Taylor Trammell is enjoying his stay in the Twin Cities. Home runs in back-to-back games for the rookie. 6-4 Minnesota. Taylor Trammell, have yourself a weekend. Yeah, you got to love that. He got all that ball. Still the Mariners trailing by one. Going into the ninth inning, Mariners get a couple of base runners on. Kyle Seeger comes to the plate, already having a day, and he just walloped one to give the Mariners the lead and would give the Mariners the win. Colomay, deep side, delivers. Here's a swing and a fly ball into right center field and deep going back as Buxton looking up, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. It kept going and going and going. Kyle Seeger with a three-run home run here in the top of the ninth inning. Second home run of the day. Drives in his second, third, and fourth run of the ball game, and the Mariners now lead it 8-6. to six. Holy smokes, what a comeback for the Mariners this afternoon here in Minnesota. Seager reaches five times, goes four for four, two home runs, four RBIs, mixed in a walk as he leads the Mariners to a win, eight to six. A thrilling come from behind victory for the Mariners as they take this series against the Minnesota Twins. Bullpen was excellent, four scoreless between Vest, Steckenrider, and Montero as they kept the Twins at bay to allow the comeback for the Mariners as they come all the way back to get a thrilling victory over the Minnesota Twins and a nice series win against Minnesota. This is what Scott Service had to say after the ball game. Okay, uh, yeah, great great comeback today. Didn't get a whole lot better. And it kind of looked like you're, you know, just kind of dead in the water, not doing a whole lot, down 6 nothing uh, against a very quality uh, opponent. And uh, our guys just keep grinding out. Obviously, Seager's had a huge day. Seager's carried us today. But the first home run getting us going, Trammell on top of that, uh, kind of gets your life back <laughs> uh, into the into the dugout and, and going from there, you know, just kind of, you know, setting it up. There's a big at-bats off of uh, Colomay late, and then, you know, Seager come through again. Heck of a game by Kyle. Wow. Uh, really carried us today, but you know we don't get that opportunity if our, our bullpen doesn't throw some zeros up there. So uh, Will Vest, uh, Stack, and then obviously Montero at the end. So uh, big team win, uh, great effort by everybody, and uh, those games are fun because it's really easy to pack it in. You know things aren't going our way, uh, doesn't look like you got much of a chance, but you keep grinding, you keep having good at bats, and um, get some young guys gaining some confidence here. Nice, nice win. You just touched on it, but you've had quite a few of these types of wins so far this season. What can you say just about the overall resiliency you've shown over the first two weeks? Yeah, our guys keep playing. They, they don't quit. That's why we play nine innings, and it takes 27 outs to get her done. And, uh, uh, you know, a ton of credit goes to to our young players, our veteran players, and everybody in between. Uh, and nobody really gets too down in the dugout. You just keep grinding away. And we do know that if you can put consecutive at-bats together – you know, the power is starting to come. We were a little slow hitting some home runs out of the gate, but now you're starting to see guys, you know, settle in and, and find the stroke a little bit. And there were huge home runs today. We don't get back in that game unless we hit the ball over the fence, and we did it today. 
Uh, the um, it's always interesting with the Rule Five pitchers in that you don't have much history on these guys. What you see in Arizona is a pretty small sample size, and it stands to reason that well, I'll use Johan as a good example. It took you maybe if most of the season last year to get comfortable with him in leverage situations. Uh, you seem to have done it with Will Best in about 10 minutes here because uh, the stuff has, has played well. Um, you've needed this guy, and he's mostly delivered. He really has. And uh, like I mentioned the other day, or I did, you know, the conversation I had with him about four or five days ago was, you know, the goal that I had for him was to kind of be that guy we could go to down in some games early, but then to get us maybe out of a jam, but then run out there and kind of calm the game down. And that's a lot to ask of a young pitcher, uh, but he's got the weapons to do it. And I said, that's my goal. If you can get to that point by, you know, mid-season, I think we've really accomplished something. We got to that point in about three or four days uh, because we needed him. And he stepped up and, and done a great job. He's got three real weapons. You know, the, the fastball plays, he's got an outstanding changeup, and he saw some really good sliders today as well. So if he throws strikes and controls that strike zone, good things going to happen. So uh, we need everybody. You know, and there's you know, the rule five pick after, you know, you make the team, you're on the team. Uh, I don't care what tie you got there. Everybody has a little bit different story. But we're glad we got him. He's a great fit for us, and he's going to get plenty of opportunity here. So that was Scott's service after the ball game. Here's what Kyle Seeger had to say after one of the best days of his career, and that's saying something for one of the best Mariners ever. What was your approach in that count, and specifically in that pitch sequence, given the, some of the calls you were getting and fouling that ball away? Well, just walk us through your approach on that uh, that last homer there. Um, you know, Kyle is tough. You know, I, I played with him here. I, I've seen his, you know, his cutter in action. He, he gets a lot of ground balls. Um, you know, that situation, I think just trying to trying to get a pitch up, get a pitch in the air. You know, you certainly don't want to, you know, hit into a double play type deal. So you're trying to, you know, get a pitch up, get a pitch you can kind of handle. And, you know, um, you know, it worked out, fortunately. Did you think that that one was going to leave the yard when it left your bat? I, I hit it good. Uh, it felt good off the bat. It, it kind of clipped a little bit, so I know it went really high. I, um, I was certainly hoping. <laughs> But I figured I had enough to um, to get it off the wall. So when I kind of saw Kepler kind of working towards the wall, I felt pretty good at that point. But yeah, I was uh, you know definitely excited that it did get out. Kyle, what was the vibe in the dugout like in the sixth inning when you guys are down six runs and your first solo shot? I mean, it gets you on the board, but you're still only down, you're down five runs at that point. Can you just kind of describe you know the resilience you guys had? Uh, absolutely. You know, it's, um, you know, not, not, was not looking good at that point, obviously. Um, it's, it was a really nice job of the bullpen tonight to come in here in the second half of this game and, you know, shut down an extremely good offense. So I think that was a huge part of it. Uh, you know, I think you had Tramel get the big hit there to, you know, to kind of get us close there. But, you know, it's like anything else. You, you got to continue to fight. You got to continue to, um, to battle and you don't want to give those at-bats away. So you got to really, you know, you lock it in because, like you said, you don't know what's going to happen. There was Kyle Seeger, and you know, we talked about it after the game yesterday on the air that this is a series the Mariners should feel great about taking two of three. You know, the start of the season has not gone as planned when you consider Mariners are mostly healthy through spring training. In fact, I mean, it's for my mind, that's the goal, right? To be as healthy as possible coming out, and that has completely evaporated to start the season you know Kyle Lewis gets hurt at the end of spring training we've not seen him yet we should see him soon 
you know, Evan White goes down, the James Paxton injury. You know, Marco Gonzalez has not pitched as well as he would like and as well as he will moving forward this season. So a lot of things have not gone to script, yet here the Mariners are above 500, taking the last game against the White Sox and now two of three on the road against the Minnesota Twins, a team that will certainly be in playoff contention as we move through this season. So this is a serious win I think the Mariners should feel great about. And now they have a chance to go to Baltimore for four games. And, you know, this should be an interesting series. Baltimore uh, may be a surprise out of the gates as they swept aside the Boston Red Sox to start the season. They've come back to earth in the last couple games. You know, it's early. Everything's early. I guess I can. that goes without saying. But uh, Baltimore 4-5 and five to start the season. They gave up 14 runs, 17 hits to the Red Sox yesterday, losing 14-9. to nine. So... It was a tremendous start for Baltimore, has slowed a little bit. They swept the Red Sox to start the season. They lost two of three to the Yankees after that, and then they were swept over the weekend by the Red Sox. So Boston returned the favor as their homestand continues facing the Mariners for four. Pitching matchups look like this in the four-game set against Baltimore. Justice Sheffield will go tonight, 4:05 first pitch. Marjavicious will go on Tuesday, 4.05 again. John Means, the ace of Baltimore staff, will oppose him in that ball game. So a matchup of a couple of lefties. Justin Dunn will take the turn on Wednesday again at 4.05. Matt Harvey will take the ball for Baltimore. And then on Thursday, Jackie Robinson Day, 10.05 a.m. first pitch. Marco Gonzalez will take his turn. Bruce Zimmerman, a lefty will go for Baltimore in game four of the series, and then the Mariners return home. And if you're, you know, you look at this four-game series against Baltimore and important for the Mariners in that they come home and face Houston and L.A. So it's going to be a really tough homestand. So a chance to do some damage here in a four-game series knowing you're returning home to something very difficult. So we'll see how this four-gamer plays out with the Mariners and Baltimore. Okay, we'll turn our attention now to Drew Steckenrider. Uh, myself, Aaron Goldsmith, had a chance to sit down with the Mariners reliever. You've had a long road in between major league appearances. If you go back to your last outing with the Marlins, which seems like, I'm sure, a lifetime ago, if you go back to May of 2019, fast forward to your debut with the Mariners just the other night, April of 2021, what did it feel like for you when you got back up on top of a major league mound? Honestly, I didn't feel like much had changed. Uh, I think I kind of took the the biggest day for me was the day that I found out that I had made the, the club. That was probably the highest emotion that I had experienced since since 2019. And then every time, both times I've pitched, uh, I felt very comfortable and um, calm and uh, collected. So I'd say that probably the, the day that I found out I made the club was the most emotional uh, day just, just from that long road and that journey. Can you walk us through a little bit what transpired for you? Obviously, you've dealt with injuries and you've persevered and been able to come back. But what was that like for you when all of a sudden you were out of the limelight, you were having to rehab, you were having to recover? Can you walk us through kind of what that process was like for you trying to get back to where you are right now? I mean, it's obviously extremely difficult. You go through... Uh, sets of phases where uh, it's physical, 
um, which is frustrating at times, obviously, um, as an athlete, try to take pride in everything that I do physically um, in the training room, in the weight room, with what I eat, how I sleep. So it, it wears on you when physically you're not able uh, to, to throw a baseball or to, or to play. And then once, once you kind of get into that, it becomes uh, mental. And then that mental part, I think, is where a lot of people just get dragged down. And, and being that it was so long and I was able to come back last year and throwing games in spring, feeling pretty good. Um, but with a shortened season um, and that coming back from second spring, just not not, not able to play in any games kind of got to me a little bit mentally uh, last year. And um, once I was able to kind of put that behind me and get back to focusing on getting back to where I need to be physically, I was able to kind of get back to where I needed to be. So how are you feeling physically and mentally at this point? Uh, I feel, I feel great. Uh, just like normal. Um, like there was nothing that ever happened. Um, it just seems like it's like two, I mean, two years between, um, last time I threw in a major league game, it, it, it was a long time as, as it was happening. COVID made it a little bit different, I would say. Um, but kind of, kind of shortened that time, um, because there, there wasn't 162, there was only, only 60. So I, I think in a way that personally, that was a little bit of a blessing just from the toll that I was putting on myself, both more, more mentally than physically, but um, just that, that mental toll, that grind of, hey, like, I, I know I should be out there with those guys, but I can't. Um, and that's the hardest part. Drew, I was watching you in spring training and I was watching Cal Raleigh in spring training and I couldn't help but think what a small world this is. Of course, you played... Right. Cal Raleigh's dad, Todd Raleigh at Tennessee. Uh, did oh, yeah. you have a chance to talk to Cal about just? Yeah, 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 I did. I did. I got to catch up with him, uh, talk to Cal a good bit. We actually shared a, a same locker room. Um, so I ran into him a good bit. But man, I remember Cal when he was, oh, I don't know if you guys could see, but he was probably about this tall. His dad had him out there switch hitting shag and bp with us doing everything that the college the college kids were doing and he's grown up man he's my size now so when i saw him i was like cal you're, you're he's a big boy now full facial hair he didn't have any of the facial hair when i was at school but uh he he sounds just like his dad too i i could tell in his voice i was like yep you are your father's son for sure can you tell us about you as a player at tennessee because you were you were a guy who did more than just pitch yeah, played a little bit of outfield, a uh, little bit of first base, um, came in out of high school uh, primarily to play outfield. And I pitched a little bit in high school. Uh, we ended up needing some pitching help at uh, UT. So I threw a bullpen um, and the coaches thought that that was good enough to throw me in a game, I think the next week. And the rest is history. I continued pitching from there and um, they let me play the field and pitch. Uh, for the last uh, little bit that I was there. So you threw a bullpen and then you were in a college game the week after that? Yeah. And then, so I threw, I threw a bullpen and I want to say that was at Oregon state. And then I was in a non-conference game. And then the weekend after that, I was pitching at South Carolina, which uh, big time stadium there, big time fans. Um, so as you can imagine, um, the adrenaline was, was pumping pretty good. That's, that's incredible. How did you mentally and physically as well, but flip the switch to say, I'm no longer a position player. My future is on the mound. That 
seems like it might not have been easy to do at first. No, it wasn't. Um, especially when I got drafted, uh, they had me doing starting pitching um, and being just being a position player my whole life. I wanted to play every day. It didn't matter where I played. I just wanted to play every day. I didn't want to show up to the field um, and not play. And I think once once I got into the bullpen role, was it was after I had Tommy John in 2013. They brought me back uh, to to relieve. And once I did that, I, I kind of took off. Um, and I think that part of that was just that drive to want to show up to the park to play every every single day. Now you hit home runs, you stole bags. At what point do you let Scott Service know that, hey, if you need someone to run, you need someone to pinch hit, uh, are you going to let him know you're the guy? Yeah, every time every time we do sprints out there, I'm, I'm taking my lead like I'm on first or second base and I'm trying to get a good jump on whoever the strength coach is. Uh, even in spring training, they're always like, man, Steck, you got a good jump on that. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm Just in case I need to steal a bag, like I'm in there, I'll be ready to go. Um, but with no, with no pitchers hitting, uh, here, that might be, might be a tough one to come by along the lines of the sec and college baseball. Uh, it sounds like, you know, Mariners first baseman, Evan white awfully well, Evan, uh, starred at Kentucky. What, what's the relationship with Evan? Like, uh, I got a great re- relationship with him. Uh, he was one of the guys that I talked to this off season, um, just to kind of get the lay of the land and, um, the direction this organization was headed. Um, so he was a bit, had a big time factor and um, why, why I was here, why I chose to come here. I wanted to be a part of uh, where, where they were at as an organization and where, where they're headed. Uh, I actually never got to play against him while he was at Kentucky, but do have some buddies who uh, he crossed paths with there. So it was actually good to finally get to meet him once I got out to spring. We're talking with Mariners reliever Drew Steckenrider. You're an Atlanta guy. You go to college in Tennessee. You pitch with the Marlins in Miami in the National League. Now you find yourself as far away in the other outposts of Major League Baseball. You're in the great Pacific Northwest pitching in the American League in Seattle. What has this kind of life transition been like for you in the early days? Uh, it's, it's been kind of a whirlwind. I mean, coming out to spring training, my first spring training in Arizona as well. Uh, so had a completely different experience out there, just trying to find my way one day at a time. Um, so far I've really enjoyed my time out here. Uh, if you guys have ever been out here, you guys know how beautiful it is. Uh, the, just the, the color of the trees, just how green everything is, is, uh, it's extremely beautiful. Flying in here, uh, we flew over a mountain range, uh, which you can see from just about anywhere in this city. Um, so it's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate to get to see a completely another side of the country that I've never seen before. Um, just completely different. As I mean, as far as everything goes, really, um, from the East Coast. Drew, along the lines of the Marlins, you had a, a little bit of a crossover early in your career in Miami with Ichiro. Is there an Ichiro a moment, memory, encounter, anything that uh, stands out to you the most when you had a chance to watch him near the tail end of his career? Uh, man, I've been watching that guy play baseball since I was a little kid. Uh, we're actually funny. We were talking about it the other day. Um, just remember seeing him beat out routine ground balls. It's like, man, there's not many guys that can beat out just a routine ground ball. Um, and he was one of them. Um, so I was actually sharing some stories uh, with one of the guys the other day, and uh, Kikuchi asked me, he said, hey, you got to play with Ichiro in Miami, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, I think he was a little bit jealous. Um, 
So kind of got a little one up on him there. How, how big do Kikuchi's eyes get, by the way, when he starts talking about Ichiro? I think, I mean, you say he's, he's the president, chairman, and CEO of the Ichiro fan club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could, I could definitely tell there was a little something there. He was like, man, I like he, he wanted to, wanted to share, you know, share the field with him obviously. And, um, just getting to do that is, was such a cool, uh, experience for me in Miami. Um, and just, just being around him, seeing his work ethic, seeing everything he does, um, even getting to getting to know him, um, getting to talk, talk to him is, um, I mean, something I'll remember for the rest of my life for sure. Who were your guys growing up? Of course, love watching Ichiro play. Uh, Tory Hunter, big Tory Hunter fan. Uh, Chipper, Andrew Jones, Griffey, of course. I feel like most of the guys I liked were outfielders because that's what I played growing up. Drew, this has been a real treat. It, it's great to be able to talk with you. We're, we're so happy uh, for this time with you. And uh, welcome to Seattle. Welcome to T-Mobile Park, a place that has been foreign to you until uh, recent days. Uh, and uh, all the best the rest of the season. We look forward to the next time we have a chance to chat here uh, over the computer. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 